0: Hello, um, welcome back to Skeptics in the Pub and it's great to be back in Copa after they spent a lot of time refurbishing, it's really impressive. (laughs) Sorry if the bar isn't open, they seem to have lots of different managers with lots of different policies so we get, hopefully next time we will get an open bar up here but this time you'll have to go up and down to the bar and you'll see our lovely pot at the front where we're asking for donations for coming tonight so you're gonna have to walk past it lots of times so hopefully you'll feel a little bit of guilt and drop some cash in. Um, But without any more begging for money, um, I'd like to uh, um, welcome our speaker tonight, Dr. Evan Harris, who used to be an MP, and I still like to pretend he is an MP over at the other side of Oxford. I'm just mentally blocking out what's going on over there. Um, (laughs) um, So, yes, well, and we're going to have a talk about the Leveson inquiry. So, um, yes, (laughs) thank you very much.
1: I'll use this. I don't know if you knew what you were going to hear a speak, uh, a talk on, so if any of you want to leave, that's fine. If you want to go and get a drink, even better. What I thought we might do, but I'm no expert here, is if I stop at quarter past, and then we have a break so you can replenish, and we start on again at half past, and then I go till uh, nearly nine, because I've got to get the quarter past nine train, if there is still such a thing. It's been a while, uh, because I've got to... Um, do something this evening, hence this ridiculous outfit. It's the first time I've ever been uh, the best dressed. Uh, no, sorry, there's lady at the back, okay. The second best dressed uh, here. Anyway, so what I wanted to do was talk about the Leveson Inquiry, and really the best way in, because it's quite a big subject, is to say how and why I got involved in Hacked Off, who I work for. Uh, I haven't yet been paid, but I- I'm told I will be paid at some point, and, uh, and what our current struggles are, and there may be the odd anecdote about a trouser dropping celeb on the way. Uh, so that's the Daily Mail language for people who've given evidence against the, the, the Daily Mail at the Leveson Inquiry. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, so what happened was that in July 2011, I can't remember what I was doing, but I got a call from um, Hugh Tomlinson, QC, who is a lawyer that I had sparred with, argued with, uh, uh, on libel reform. So I had set up uh, 2009, I think, 2008-9, the the libel reform campaign, bringing together Sense About Science, uh, index on censorship and english pen to campaign for libel reform and we are still struggling with that uh we had a meeting today where we we had a bit of a setback but um but i had he he's a claimant lawyer and i'd always uh had to argue and been on panels arguing with him about the need for there to be a rebalancing of the libel laws in favour of defendants like simon singh uh and away from uh, uh claimants um who were often um purely litigious or vexatious or seeking to chill public interest speech and and he I won't go so far as to say was seeking to defend his income, but obviously he he was comfortable in the in the previous arrangements. Anyway, I got a call from him saying that he was involved in an organization called Hacked Off that had just been set up to campaign for a, in fact, it was the end of June, to campaign for a public inquiry into the phone hacking scandal and everything around it. Because if you remember, The Guardian had revealed that there was some hacking around the Gordon Taylor incident and no other newspaper picked it up. And so then the New York Times did a bit more digging and revealed a bit more. And the News of the World and News International, all the press were saying it was one rogue reporter, not even one rogue newspaper in those days. And everyone in the know... Uh, knew that there was much more behind it than that and not just phone hacking and not just phone hacking of um, uh, Gordon Taylor of the Professional Wars Association or Sienna Miller but some serious uh, intrusion into the lives of uh, the families of murder victims uh, and uh, the f- children and friends of people in the public eye in a way that was quite um, undermining to their sense of well-being not knowing where, how, what private things were getting out. And it was against a background also of something called the Motorman Inquiry, which was the uh, failed, as it turned out, investigation by the Information Commissioner into industrial scale uh, blagging of people's per- and, and, and theft of people's personal details from mobile phone companies and the DVLA and the Police National Computer uh, for the purpose, alleged purpose, of uh, journalism Um, But in none of the cases that were investigated by the police was a public interest defense attempted, even though one exists in the Data Protection Act. So that was known about, but it was known that it had just fizzled out and no journalist was ever uh, charged, let alone convicted, even though over 100 journalists had spent millions of pounds paying a criminal private investigator to blag this private information uh, uh or to oh, bribing police or oh, police uh, staff to get in the police national computer anyway so there was this call for this public inquiry and uh, they wanted someone with free speech free speech credentials uh to be uh, one of the advisers and they came to me because of my background that you may or may not know about in um opposing the religious hatred um bill as originally proposed in an overbroad form by uh, Blair and his uh, Home Secretary at the time and also repeal of the blasphemy law, which I did, and um, the abolition of um, seditious libel and criminal defamation. Anyway, on that basis, they came to me and they thought I had time on my hands following the incident of May 2010, and they were right. Uh, so the, uh, so anyway, I, and I said, yeah, yeah, what's going on? They said, oh, we've got a launch meeting in the House of Lords, uh, next week, July. There's something I couldn't remember. It's a Wednesday anyway, and do come along. It's in the afternoon, and I, I said, "Okay, I'll put it in my diary." And um, I remember, and, and then I forgot about it. And then the Millie Dowler story broke that week. Okay, front page of the Guardian. Brilliant work by Nick Davis and others. And um, and <coughs> I thought well, I'd better pop along to this meeting because I think it's about that. I was that ignorant. Uh, I, mean, I was aware of it, but I was doing something else i can't remember something sciencey uh and um and i went along to this meeting It was a bit chaotic jack cunningham was in the chair and i I sat next to someone and i thought that rings a bell and it was it was max mosley and uh john prescott was there huffing and puffing uh and uh but it was a cross-party group and there were some people i recognized Joan smith the former uh, director uh, of English PEN, who was a journalist at the Times, now the Independent, and uh, it turns out she'd been a victim of this while working for the Times. She was hacked by the News of the World. I mean, they they had no they had no respect for their own, and um, and there was a, and, and at that by that time, after Prime Minister's questions, a public inquiry had been promised. By the Prime Minister, uh, so we had this our launch meeting this was the best ever campaign i 'd ever been involved with we 'd achieved our aim by an hour before we were launched <laughs> and so these people didn 't have a clue uh, what to do and uh, It struck me that the name of the game was ensuring that the, that the public inquiry was judge led had powers of investigation, uh, and also was wide enough to capture the police malpractice, uh, uh, other issues to do with the relationship between the press and the public, and also uh, the issue of the, um, the hold that they had over politicians and politicians' relations with the, with the press. And in addition, we bunged in, and I'll explain how, a uh, plurality and data protection. And uh, we got the – so what happened was that I said that my sole contribution to this meeting – uh, and in my diminished status i had to wait <laughs> to about an hour in to say was that you know instead of faffing around we should urgently be writing our own version of the uh of what the terms of reference would be because it was obviously in cameron's interests and indeed arguably the interests of everyone involved in politics who'd ever communed with the devil which means uh i think both the main parties actually that um that it shouldn't go there and uh and at this time, uh, there, so there was this call agreed. So Ed Miliband had come out bravely after the Dowler uh, expose when the public were appalled by Murdoch to investigate the matter, which is good, but n- not that brave, I think. Uh, before the Dowler week would have been very brave. Um, and uh, and at the end of the meeting, oh, yeah, and then um, Hugh Grant uh, came, Uh, And spoke. So you came (coughs) from the back, and I thought I recognise him. And I thought I'd better, because the campaign I'd done on religious hatred had been revolved around Rowan Atkinson, okay? And I was aware I helped with the Gurkha campaign, and that was Joanna Lumley. And I've always been highly dismissive of the role of celebrity in policy campaigning since since, uh, Carol Vorderman uh, and her MMR. sad exploits. But, uh, but, but when they're on your side, it's hard to resist because they do get the media attention. So uh, it's, um, it's, um, uh, so now you just have to point them in the right direction. And, and the thing about Joanna Lumley and Rowan Atkinson was they didn't need any prep. I mean, they were just on top of the issue, intelligent people who knew exactly what the issues were and in Joanna Lumley's case knew how to do it. Rowan needed a bit of um, advice on the best way. Uh, to uh, to approach the issue, and similarly with blasphemy reform uh, repeal, you know the likes of um, uh, uh, Salman Rushdie and uh, and um, uh, uh, Stuart Lee, uh, the the guy who wrote Jerry Springer the Opera. So, so, so I thought, must must talk to him. My first blunder was delighted to meet you, Mister Lorry. That was a that was a <laughs> not a fan of. I'm not a fan. Still not a fan of his films. Uh, um, uh, and um uh, so anyway, and I was introduced, in fairness, by Mark Lewis. Okay, now he's the Dowler solicitor, but I knew him, fortunately, and it's just the way these things work. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been here. Is that he was the lawyer for Peter Wilmshurst, who was a British car- is a British cardiologist who was sued for libel by an American machine manufacturer uh and many of you some of you skeptics well know his case well there was the Singh case there was and there was wilmshurst uh who's a hero so he he said at an american conference to an american journalist for a north american magazine uh something defamatory but true as it turned out but anyway defamatory about a an american company's american product okay he was sued in england uh and that was the issue that uh, this company with an american reputation was trying to sue someone in england under our laws because they knew they wouldn't get away with it in in the u.s and mark lewis was his lawyer and um and we worked quite closely with him on the libel reform campaign and he introduced me to hugh grant uh, uh saying that i was a, a decent campaigner or something uh i think he meant cheap and uh <laughs> because i was working for free for libel reform at the time and um And so, uh, and he said, okay, well, you know, you seem to know what you're doing, tell us what to do. So, uh, I arranged, um, so that was on the Wednesday. By the end of the Thursday, I had arranged through connections I had for the Deputy Prime Minister to meet Hugh Grant to discuss the terms of reference of the inquiry, because this was at a time when the politicians were really on the back foot, although uh, Clegg. Uh, had clean hands, as it were, uh, and nothing to lose by taking on the press, let's face it. Um, uh, so I'd fixed this up for the Monday morning, and we were just in the process of fixing up Ed Miliband for the Tuesday and then the Prime Minister for the Wednesday, because given the scandal, they just wanted to make sure they were dealing with it. They couldn't turn it down. And if you start with Clegg, then they all want in. Okay. So uh, And then on... <coughs> On Friday, on Saturday night, I think it was, Friday night, I got a call from Mark Lewis saying, can the Dowlers come, okay, to this meeting? And I thought, wow, it's not Hugh Grant, is it? You know. <laughs> <laughs> What did I, you know, so, so I said, yeah, why not? Okay, it's going to be a big table now, because there was myself, uh, Brian Cathcart, who's now the director of Hacked Off, Martin Morford, Media Standards Trust, Mark Lewis, uh, the Dowlers um, Hugh Grant was supposed to be there and Brian Paddock the former police officer who was our police expert um, and then what happened was that I said fine and then I got a call from an irate I got a text actually uh, from uh, Hugh Grant who I didn't know at all at the time saying call me at home now uh, uh, with, uh, I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing it um, And uh, he said, you know, what do you do? I can't be seen in the same picture as the Dowlers. It's preposterous. I'm in no way a victim like them. And I tried to talk him out of it because I was still desperately trying to get the the, the shot of of, of Hugh Grant coming out of number 10 because I think there'd been some film that he was in, you know, Pride and Prejudice or something, I don't know. So um, (laughs) don't say that to him. Anyway, so, uh, but anyway, after an hour, he talked me around, he was quite right. Uh, Again, these people often have very good instincts, uh, and that was the first and last big mistake I- I've-, I've made in this campaign, I'd say, and uh, and I learned a lot from it anyway. So he said, "I'm not in this, but the downloads will be great," and it was true, and they were uh, uh, a very, uh, I mean can't really go into confidences but what happened to them was awful as you can imagine and what was then layered on top of them by this whole business was even worse and they're very dignified and they were willing uh, for the campaign to sort of try and do something and they didn't have to to come and meet politicians which is not everyone's cup of tea, it's not mine and I I am one so Um, and so at this point uh, number 10 heard about um, heard about the uh, the uh, business at uh, uh, the meeting. And so I got a call from Craig Oliver, who was the new Coulson, uh, at Number 10 saying the Prime Minister would like to come to the meeting on Monday. Okay, I said, no. It's great. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, we'll in good time. Anyway, so we went along and we, we said what we wanted to see from this inquiry, and Nick Clegg was very supportive and said, yes, of course, we need to deal with this. And Ed Miliband couldn't really... He, I mean, he was just... Whatever we said, he said, yes, okay. I uh, said, so can you lend us a couple hundred quid? Yes. Um, and then uh, David Cameron was more guarded, but also, I mean, he was just, it was quite clear that he was, in a, if you remember that time, it was feverish because more and more revelations were coming out. So then the next, he said, yes, we'll do it. Uh, we'll do the inquiry and we'll do some decent terms of reference. Our triumph was uh, that uh, when the... Uh, in fact, yes. That day, he published in the morning at 11:30, and we were seeing him just after PMQs at one o'clock. He published his, the terms of reference that he was planning. Okay, and he said they were for consultation, but they weren't really. It's what he wanted, and they were pretty narrow. And we were, we were meeting in the Millbank Cafe, and I got Carol Walker, who's a BBC correspondent, to, um, to get it on a memory stick, and we had an old laptop with us. And we managed to do track changes to this document, print it off, and say to the Dowlers, could you just talk through these track changes, and ask the Prime Minister to make each one of them. There were 13. The Prime Minister agreed to 12. So uh, that's the first and last time I think I've ever influenced government policy. Um, (laughs) So anyway, the inquiry was set up and hacked off, uh, now had to seek a new role, and what we sought to do was then support the victims who were giving evidence, because uh, what happened was a number of them were then promptly libelled by the Mail, okay, in an attempt to stop them giving evidence. So uh, uh, Cheryl Gascoigne, for example, was able to, in the end, uh, despite the trashing, she got to sue the Mail and they had to apologise for libelling her, saying that, that 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 she represented demeaning and degrading company for the people who truly suffered. Okay, I mean, on what basis? Because she was married to a, a footballer with alcohol problems. I mean, you know. It's not not her fault. Uh, So anyway, the the press's behaviour, some of them, was atrocious during this time. So where are we now? Just fast forward. Um, We expected the Leveson Inquiry report to be tougher on the press. So we were slightly surprised when, instead of arguing that there needed to be a regulator independent of the press and the police, uh, the press and um, and the politicians... Uh, he went for uh, self-regulation, okay, Uh, which is kind of back to square one, except he stipulated that that self-regulation had to meet certain qualities, okay, which they've always said before in Calcutt and and all the previous inquiries, but that, crucially, there would be a body body independent of politicians and the press, established by law, okay, so it had some (coughs) authority, to verify that the regulatory body or bodies that the press or bits of the press set up met the criteria of, you know, being able to enforce fines. Um, being able to have more control over the code than the editors currently allow anyone other than them. So they can write a code that permits a national newspaper on, a, on a low shelf to contain front page upskirt shots of women against their will. I mean, it was just ridiculous that code. I mean, people say the code's fine, it's just not enforced. The code is full of holes. Um, Powers of investigation, okay, which the PCC never had. I mean, the PCC was never interested in asking the news of the world what they were up to, but if they had, they wouldn't have had any powers to do so. In being independent, okay, you can't just say, I'm appointing you, okay, and I want you to be independent of me, okay? Because if I'm appointing you, you're dependent on that appointment and, and, you know, there's a missing syllable, okay? And I'm not sure the editors understand that that you cannot be independent if you are dependent on someone for your appointment. So, so in order for it to be independent, to have the powers of fines and sanctions um, uh, and, uh, and a number of other things. Um, so that's what's set out in the Leveson Report, together with the fact that there'll be this body established in law that will have the ability to say, yes, this is competent or no. What's also required by law is to probably it's the best way of doing it is to give the carrot because there's no compulsion. This is why what surprised us: there is no requirement on Richard Desmond to join a system. Okay, all there is is the encouragement of saying if you join the system, it'll have an arbitration arm, and that will mean that uh, if that that if you use that, then it'll be cheaper for both sides for disputes about libel, for example, and if you and if you're not in the scheme and you're not allowing someone to have this cheap option of a cheap way of suing you for libel, then you will, you will pay costs even if you win. Okay? So it's a cost penalty for not being part of a system that allows someone who's not got much money a cheaper way of doing it than trying to, if they can find one, get a conditional fee agreement with which to sue. I hope that's clear. So it's a carrot. I suppose you could say a uh, stick I mean it's still it's the same thing I mean it depends which orifice you're putting it in whether it's it's, 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 it's an encouragement or a or a, or a uh, discouragement and indeed it depends what you're pre- well anyway let's 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 not go in there but anyway you can see the idea it's two way okay a thin end and a thick end it's still too the imagery is still wrong um, so uh, so so you need to have a law that says if thou is in the thing you will have this 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 status because because it's a bit unfair if you want to sue someone who is in the scheme, OK, uh, or who isn't in the scheme and you have this hurdle. It's just there's a discrimination and therefore it has to be set out in law. Otherwise, it's in breach of your right to a fair trial either side uh, in Article 6 and Article 14 of the ECHR, which says you must have access to these rights on a non-discriminatory basis. So, so there's a reason why you need a law to make the and six effective and you also need a law to say that this verifier will be um, appointed by the independent appointments commission okay so judges who are appointed independently and are independent don't just emerge they don't just come you know god doesn't come bing there's a judge they are appointed by a judicial appointments commission, which is a, a legally established in statute, so that is the statutory underpinning that is required. It's not statutory regulation, and there are very few newspapers who don't make that mistake. Statutory regulation would be like Ofcom, where Ofcom is given the power over various things. It's given the power over on broadcast, okay, and and uh, whether it's BTV or the BBC. Um, and what's but what Leveson has said is there's self-regulation. You do it yourselves. But you must appoint independent people to do it. It's your scheme. And all we're asking is that it's verified by this independent body. So it's not Ofcom. It's not a statutory regulator. It's statutory underpinning to verify, to guarantee, that whatever they come up with meets certain standards. Okay? So, it's, so the government is nowhere near that process. Parliament passes a law that enables an independent body to be set up independently of government, which then monitors whether the regulator is fit for purpose. But the person doing the regulation is the regulator set up by the press. So there is absolutely no way this could possibly be government control. And what's bizarre at the moment is that the vested interests in some of the press are saying, what I've just described as political interference in the press, which it isn't, uh, and instead, we want the site we had yesterday, yesterday of David Cameron telling the editors what to do. You see he, took, he boasted about, I've been very strong with them, and I've told them that, that they must set up a scheme or there'll be political interference with them. Well, what's that? It's political interference. It's preposterous, preposterous, and of course not reported by the press. And that's the struggle. This is the challenge. I mean, it's hard enough being a Liberal Democrat without... Being a member of a campaign that gets no coverage in the newspapers, except for the Guardian and bits of the Independent, so it was a novel concept for us that everything we did, no matter how newsworthy, would never feature, okay, except in possibly a negative way, uh, in the uh, in the Daily Mail. And we used to laugh, um, cry really about the coverage of some of these things. It's just um, remarkable, okay. And the point is that that the. I mean, what's the most grotesque thing that's happened recently? I would say the way the press reacted to the Savile affair. Okay? I did a little gentle tweet about how comparing the behaviour of the BBC following the allegations against Newsnight with the behaviour of the tabloid press following the... Uh, more confirmed allegations, indeed findings of fact in, well, any number of scandals, whether it be phone hacking or data mining. And this gentle tweet got, got 1,500 retweets, which was a first for me. Um, and, and it was just making the point that there's not a single tabloid reporter, if you remember John Humphreys and that interview with George Edwards, not a single tabloid reporter who would be allowed to ask a single question, okay, uh, in any way remotely compared to all the questions that John Humphreys was able to ask of his boss to their boss, the, the, the tabloid editor. Quite uh, remarkable what the BBC is able to do and have Panorama uh, um, doing a number on Newsnight. <coughs> Amazing, OK? And, of course, the Savile scandal wasn't found by these newspapers, OK? They say, oh, well, you know, libel laws. I mean, since 2000, there's been this Public interest defense. And you can't get more public interest than a, a responsible investigation of allegations of child abuse and, and sexual abuse. Um, so that, so, so the Reynolds defense would have covered them. But after he's dead, there's absolutely no way that you can be sued for libel. Okay. And yet the press still didn't do it. And it wasn't that they had investigated, but they didn't think they could publish for legal reasons. They didn't investigate. And it, in the end, it took the regulated ITV to do the exposure. So the idea that Ofcom is some huge pressure, this chill on investigative journalism, is arrant nonsense. It was the failure of the press uh, in the case of Saville, um, uh, and, and not a failure of the television. You know, Newsnight clearly made uh, a mistake, and it made a more serious one sometime later. But, but the press, of course, never reported the – it's amazing – hacking. What's hacking got? It's got widespread illegality, it's got royals, it's got, because f- it was Prince Harry that was, and William that were first hacked by the royal correspondent Goodman, it's got footballers, it's got celebrity, it's got police corruption, it's got everything, and yet you couldn't read it outside of the uh, Guardian and the Independent, this, you know, this, this so valuable fourth estate holding the system to account. The only industry it refuses to look at is its own. If there was any other group where even a fraction of the wrongdoing had been exposed. Medicine, politics, quite rightly, law, they'd have been on them like a shot. Okay? So it is just self-serving self-interest, which I wasn't aware of, you know, for a long, long time uh, until uh, I uh, looked into this campaign. So that's what we're talking about, statutory underpinning. And... Uh, that's when. So when we say implement the Leveson Inquiry in full, which is what we're saying, and there is a petition at uh, at hackinginquiry.org which has um, one hundred and forty-one thousand names, and I've learnt all about deduplication. And, uh, and hashing and all these clever things to make sure that all Donald Ducks are removed. And, and the editor of the Mirror spent an afternoon typing in Donald Duck and Pluto. And we had to, and we could see it was from his, 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 his computer. And so we, we spent, you know, a bit of time taking them. what, what, what a waste of time. Um, so, uh, so as I say, what we're calling for is the implementation in full of those recommendations which is these requirements of a regulator and the statutory underpinning. It's not as I've just explained statutory regulation which is this terrible thing that oppresses ITV and Panorama and World in Action and all those programs. It's not even that and it's certainly not state regulation which is what lots of people for some reason with a vested interest like to call it. Okay, So there's the PCC there's statutory underpinning of self regulation which is what's recommended there's uh, statutory regulation ofcom there's state regulation and then somewhere over here there's what the daily mail thinks this is and that's zimbabwe and north korea okay <laughs> which i thought they would admire for their various policies on <laughs> on uh, uh, uh gay rights um so um so so we don't think it's a big ask uh, and it's extremely disappointing for us as an organisation that met with the Prime Minister three times that he, in, after those meetings, never mentioned it once in the meetings, has found a, an objection in principle to any law that would underpin a system. Because okay? if it's a principle, you'd think you'd mention it when you met the Dowlers the first time when you then meet uh, uh, at Conservative Party conference with us. Uh, and a celebrity. I don't think he was too starstruck. And when he later met with Charlotte Church and Jackie Hames, the the Crime Watch police officer who was put under Sever, amazing story. I don't know if you know the story. She was married to the guy who was uh, leading the investigation into the murder of Jonathan Morgan by a uh, by an allegedly by a private investigator working for the News of the World called Jonathan Rees, who was the prime suspect in this axe murder. Uh, and, um, and so there was an appeal on Crime Watch, okay, and her husband happened to be the Surrey police officer investigating it. And she was put under surveillance by the news of the world, okay, allegedly investigating whether she was having an affair with her husband. That was, I mean, they said, we thought they were having an affair. Okay, that was their excuse for spending tens of thousands of pounds on surveillance. Nothing to do with that. I think we can all... I'm being taped, but anyway. uh, Be careful. Um, There's an active police investigation. But uh, it's it's hard to believe that they spent tens of thousands of pounds seeing whether a a woman was having an affair with her husband. I mean, I know in Surrey, you know, you can have, you know, strange things go on. But I would say that that, that marital sex is not unusual even there. Um, So... So, b- bizarre business. So he met with them as well, and at no point did he say that there was an objection. And then he met with a group of victims, uh, including Bob Dowler and Kate McCann and uh, Baroness Hollins, who's the mother of Abigail Witchalls. Awful, awful what happened to that family after the attack on Abigail Witchalls, and how the, the, the press uh, got her medical records and told the family and her through the newspapers before she knew that she was pregnant. I mean, awful. Awful. And, uh, and he, at no point did he mention this objection in principle to statute. And then suddenly the Leveson Report's published and he says, well, I, you know, on principle, I have serious misgivings, okay? I, I just think it's gutless not to say that in front of the victims and then to say we all have sympathy with the victims. I, you know, these people have been through a lot. They're still willing to come to meetings with politicians, but, but the next meeting will be an interesting one because they feel Dreadful about the way that they've been let down, they feel, by the Prime Minister in this matter. So, um, and, and the idea that it's difficult to draft a bill, okay? I mean, I've drafted a bill to implement the Leveson Report. It's not hard, because uh, I'm, 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 uh, I'm barely a doctor, let alone a lawyer. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's a quick skim through of where we're up to. I'd be happy to take a round of questions just as a taster, and then if we have a break... We can uh, perhaps come back in 10 15 minutes after you've replenished, so fire away. Yeah? I think you, <coughs> I think you indicated
0: that what will have new inquire actually come up with these rather less than you
2: were looking at. Yes. So, what
1: would be the key? Well, um, is, there an, is there another question? I can take them together. It's just I tend to give I'll just do that second one first. I mean, we have to bear in mind that that, that even Alan Rossbridger was hostile to the to what we were after, which was so. I, I think he could live if Leveson was implemented. I've had long conversations with him about this, and he could live with uh, with. He always wanted. It's basically Leveson delivered his his prescription, which was self-regulation, whether it's by contract or not. Is is not our business. The press can do it as they wish. Uh, he happened to like contract, which was the kind of hunt-black plan, but, but but he didn't like that it wasn't independent. So Neverson has required independence. Uh, it's given it the powers that he wanted uh, and the arbitral arm. He really wanted the arbitral arm. But he... St- and... and and I think I thought he could live with underpinning of that by uh, this verifier, this verification body. Uh, but he's under great pressure not to break ranks with the other editors, I and mean, he's unpopular enough for having broken the story and brought all this down on our heads. How could you, Alan? Okay, it's because I'm a journalist. Paul is what the answer should be, uh, and a good journalist. So anyway, uh, but but the thing that he didn't like, and what Leveson didn't deliver for us, is a solution to the Desmond problem. Okay, So Richard, there's a PCC, which was rubbish, but Desmond walked away. Therefore, he's not regulated. There is nothing to stop in this. Rupert Murdoch or Associated or the Desmond Group just saying uh, the regulator that you lot, the regional papers and everyone else has set up is uh, FT, independent. I don't like it. I find it too... Uh, too restrictive that I can't do everything I used to do, I'm not being part of it. And there is nothing in the Leveson report that requires anything to be done. I mean, they will lose the advantages of the arbitral arm, but it may well be that their business model is such that says, you know, we'll sue us in the courts and we'll take the cost hit because we'll sell more papers because we can go the extra mile. I mean, that's, what, that's why data protection rules are broken by newspapers. The fine for a criminal breach of the Data Protection Act is £100. It's not a punishment, it's an overhead. Okay? They're paying usually more than that for the data. It's preposterous. Similarly, um, contempt of court. Christopher Jeffries, who's another one of our brilliant, brilliant campaigners, um, he was the guy who was monstered. He's the landlord of Joe Yates and they made him out to be some weirdo. Uh, and, you know, with blue hair, because they, they tinted the hair on Photoshop. There's a brilliant expose how this was done by the mirror, the sun, the people, all of them, all the papers, all the tabloid papers did it. Every single one of them. He sued 11 papers in the end. Um, and, I mean, all right, he's a liberal Democrat, but he's not, he's not, beyond that, he's not that weird. And, uh, and uh, anyway, he, um, uh, so what they did with him is the contempt of court. Serial contempt, but they sold many more papers with the stuff at the New Year. If you remember, it was a New Year story, Christmas, New Year. They got much more in advertising and sales revenue than they ever paid out in contempt of court. So it's a business model that encourages breaching of their own code and, indeed, the criminal law. Okay, So that's why we worry that if there isn't a solution to the Desmond problem, that people are not compelled to join a regulatory scheme if they're of a big enough size that that's problematic. Now, the reason Leveson didn't do that was that he was worried he might not get that through. They uh, took that action could maybe they be compelled to cease to call
2: themselves a newspaper would
1: be charged for the AT. Yes, I mean, there were options available. More, that's another stick or carrot or, or if you remember my graphic description. Uh, uh, but it's not a compulsion, OK? And, we, and they say, oh, if you, if you require someone to be registered, Okay, and you, what happens if they don't? Well, you. They, what happens if you don't pay your contempt of court fines? You get fined again, and eventually you get sequestered or sequestrated, or whatever the term is. Anyway, sounds painful. Um, excuse me. I've done that right, yeah. Um, and but they said it's like licensing, okay? Because if the end will go to prison for not paying fines, and it's state licensing. But if you don't pay your taxes as a newspaper. You're in that position. Anyway, we're arguing about something that isn't there. So, Leveson says in his report, if this doesn't work, if the regulatory system they set up is rubbish, doesn't meet my requirements, the requirements that, that I've laid out having heard all the evidence for a year, that's what's so galling about the Prime Minister rejudging the inquiry. Okay, he's named in the inquiry. The reason they set, it, gave it to a judge is the politicians said they were too involved to be able to do it themselves, even if the public trusted them to do it, which the public didn't. So even if, they, you just can't have someone who's accused uh, set the terms of the of the solution. So you give it to a judge who's independent. You give them time. Uh, a few million pounds you know hundreds of witnesses hundreds of witness statements vast amounts and you say give us have the argument there was something called module 4 in july where all these arguments were had okay the judge sat in the middle and listened to these arguments okay and the press were not underrepresented we were in a room I was a core participant for the victims and we were in a room outnumbered 8 to 1 by qcs from the from the from the press okay and yet there are people saying Leveson got it wrong. We're going to stick with what we submitted to him. It's like someone being convicted saying that I shouldn't be sentenced here because, you know, here's my defence. (laughs) Mate, you've had your defence, okay? It's been judged through the rule of law. Anyway, the point is that that, uh, what Leveson said in his report was this wasn't a recommendation, but if the system failed or significant players were not regulated, then in the end there has to be a a regulator of last resort, a long stop, okay? And that could be Ofcom. Uh, and they would come under Ofcom, and that would be another, arguably, another stick, okay? Um, but but he couldn't make that a recommendation because it would be targeted. So at the moment, we're not sure what's going to happen if, stroke when, Richard Desmond stalks out, okay? Now, possibly, he's less likely to stalk out of a tougher, independent regulator because what he can't bear is a softer regulator run by Paul Dacre. Okay, so that's so Desmond's a complex character. It's not just that he wants the freedom to run to to write his newspapers as if they were his pornographic magazines. He wants uh, he doesn't want to be told what to do by Dacre. It's quite remarkable the uh, the um, the rivalry and getting them in the same room is uh, is very interesting. Anyway, uh, I think perhaps a, a drink break is that I think that's wise, and then and then if we reconvene, and I'll uh, I'll. Um, which are on for another <laughs> half an hour. Take questions on, on anything. Thanks. Um, yeah, any your way out. We have Science Girl... Oh, yeah. Shall I do this plug? Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine uh, has um, produced this Science Girl calendar or grill. I mean, it's G-R-R-L, I think, so it's not a typo. Uh, I think there's a copyright issue otherwise. Uh, and um, and it, um, the proceeds go to a project to try and promote... as as women in science and um, it's 12 pounds for the calendar isn't it eight pounds for a fantastic looking memory stick two pounds for a for a bag but if you get the memory stick and the calendar you get the bag to take it away for, for free sadly in this calendar there are i'm afraid fully clothed Men as well as fully clothed women, but nevertheless, it's uh, it's quite a good project. And if you remember the light, I don't know if you remember the the geek calendar from a couple of years ago. It's from the same stable, so definitely worth uh, getting. And I'm not allowed to leave without having sold them all. So please, it's for a good cause. (laughs) Have I done enough (laughs) of the plug?
0: Faster than I could have done. Thank you very much, and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Okay, so um, um, welcome back, Evan, um, to take questions. Um, if you are going to ask questions, we have a microphone at the back because we're recording this for a future podcast. Um, So if you could go to the microphone and ask a question, that would be fantastic. The other thing is you mostly all realise how expensive train fares are nowadays. So if you could donate to cover the expenses of getting people up here on a very eco-friendly train, um, that would be very much appreciated. Um, But I'll hand back over to Evan now.
1: And uh, thank you for whoever got me a drink. I noticed that they put a straw in the Smirnoff ice to make me appear girly. (laughs) do need a straw for this stuff. Right. What's wrong was looking girly. Uh, indeed, right? So, managed it all my adult life. Okay, uh, I was think I was answering questions or points, taking points on anything really. Uh, yep. There, now there's a hang on, hang on. Uh, I, how's that? All right. I, I read a uh,
2: get, getting back to to you, you're talking about. The way you would have liked the Levinson inquiry to the results you would have liked them to have. Uh, I, I read an, uh, an article today ta- that talked about uh, that the, the said that the problem isn't so much with the press as it is with with people, and and that the the, the it, this isn't something that's intrinsic. The the issues that came here came up here weren't intrinsic to the press. It was just large organizations doing things that were not legal or should not be legal, and and thus this it seems like the the solution that to actually get at the root of the problem is not to fix the press but to fix the things that would allow people, even if they didn't opt into some scheme, uh, that to fix the problems that would that would in, allow people to easily hack into people's phones and and easily break the law and easily do all the all these sort of things. And what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to go back on some of what you were saying earlier with the the statutory underpinning. I'm still not sure I've got it completely. I think
2: particularly I'm thinking with the self-regulation, if it is
1: seen not to be doing what it's meant to be doing, I'm not clear then what are the next steps, what are the sanctions, and if those sanctions are, well, we can fine you or whatever, that to my mind makes it more than the statutory underpinning you were talking about. And if it isn't, then I don't really see what there is there. Well, I mean, you're right. I'll deal with the second one first, if I may, because it's fresher in my mind. And I'm, the first question is an often asked question, a very good one. Uh, so this, so they're both, both good questions. Um, so the question was, if the verification body, the independent verification body, set up in law and staffed by independent people... Uh, so, arm's length from politicians and uh, a barrier between politicians and the press regulatory body, which is a further barrier between politicians and the press. So, it's press, their own regulator, verification body, or nothing really, but I guess set up by by democratically elected people. Well, all right, people in the British Parliament. You can have a discussion about the electoral system uh, as as you wish. So... Uh, the question is, if these people, who are the underpinned verification body, say, no, it's not good enough, right? The idea is that the press will then come back with something that is good enough so that they get the carrots and avoid the sticks, okay? If they just refuse, then there is no arbitral system, okay? They are getting all the sticks and no carrots, but there's still no solution, okay? So Leveson held back from recommending what should happen in that situation, where there is no, where there is no, uh, where they just don't cooperate, okay, and that's a worry for us. Okay, he did say, in his view, the solution would be a long stop regulator like Ofcom, albeit without any control on content, and, with, and without any requirement for impartiality, which it imposes on. So it makes judgments on content, albeit post broadcast, Ofcom. Okay, which is why it was lovely when Hugh Grant did this documentary that a Tory MP wrote to Ofcom and demanded it be stopped from being broadcast before it had been seen. Okay? Um, this is because it's, it's attacking the freedom of, of speech. So he want, they wanted Ofcom to break their own rules and block the broadcast of something he hadn't seen and Ofcom hadn't seen and, um, because it might be attacking the free speech of the press. Uh, bizarre. Um, but typical. Uh, so you take away the role of uh, Ofcom having direct regard for content, okay? Uh, and you take away their requirement for impartiality, which is imposed on the broadcast, but the press cannot tolerate their right not to be biased and all support, almost all support one political party in the name of their important democratic role. A um, bit of irony there. And, uh, and th- then it would be the backstop regulator. But he's held back from saying that because he knew it would attract a lot of ire. Okay, say, so oh, he wants to have a statutory regulator for the press. So there is no solution in the Leveson report to that problem. Okay, and uh, that's why we find it astonishing that the press are complaining that all they're being asked to do is set up their own self-regulator that meets some quality standards set by an act of parliament, set by a body rather established by an act of parliament based on the leveson report a judge okay there's no politicians in that process at all except to pass the law that everything runs by i mean newspapers are subject to contempt of court which was a law passed by politicians they were not outraged by that even though the person that decides the prosecution in those cases almost uniquely is an elected politician the attorney general Okay. But when they're taken to court by the attorney general, as they often are for contempt of court again and again, because they don't learn, because there's no proper regulation, and regulation does mean learning from your mistakes, they don't protest about the gross political interference of, of, an elected politician, Dominic Grieve, taking them to court. And even during Leveson, I'm on a rant, even during Leveson, okay, when they were supposed to be on their best behavior, they were found guilty of contempt of court in the Millie Dowler trial. Unbelievable okay, that they broke the rules, okay, uh, of reporting, which prevented the jury being con- allowed to continue its deliberations on further charges against Levi Belfield relating to another girl, whose family therefore have had no justice, thanks to our friends, the Daily Mirror and the Daily Mail, okay, who, who, who's ugh, unbelievable. Um, and you wouldn't have read about that, <laughs> sorry, you couldn't make it up, um, and you wouldn 't have read about that in those newspapers because five days later, tiny compared to the front page breach of the law and destruction of justice for that family, tiny little reference to two newspapers unnamed being being convicted um, so now your, so that 's you know, where we are your question was isn 't it all i 'm paraphrasing uh, most of this stuff, all this stuff, a lot of this stuff was illegal. Isn't it about making sure that the law is enforced and the police failed and if the police were sorted out then we wouldn't need, there's less of a justification for more regulation because we could allow the law to take its course and people would be convicted earlier than that, prosecuted earlier than that, arrested earlier than that, detected and earlier than that, deterred. Okay, that's Essentially, is that a fair way of putting your, your point? It, that's, that's, that's not right. Um, for the following reasons. Firstly, not everything that is unethical and indeed in breach of the code is unlawful. Okay. So saying to Charlotte Church, unless you cooperate with us, we're going to write another story about your mother's mental health. Okay. That's probably, it's just, sort of a crude form of blackmail, but it's hard to say that that's a breach of the criminal law. It's just outrageous behaviour by an intrusive press and against their own code of conduct, or should be against their own code of conduct. Um, Putting... uh, um, Being intrusive into, into families at a time of grief, you probably couldn't write a privacy law that had the certainty that would enable people to take civil action because it's a complicated business the balance between article 8 and article 10 and there's evolving european case law around princess caroline i think of monaco and the von hanover cases and it's it's quite difficult so you can't rely on forcing people down the civil route for in, invasions of privacy you wouldn't want that you wouldn't want that's why we regulate we don't we don't regulate the medical profession uh the reason we med- regulate the medical profession is, just isn't, is because the alternative is just doing uh, autopsies and, post, you know, and, and looking at why that patient died. And regulation helps to sort of improve practice to prevent you getting there. And, and with the criminal law, so there's loads of stuff, as I say. The vast majority of stuff is not against the law. But even if you're talking about the criminal law, if you really wanted the criminal law to be an effective control on press behavior you'd have the police in the newsrooms, okay, looking out for stuff, okay? You would have less, because journalists can always hide behind, and sometimes need to hide behind, protection of sources. So it's ex- uniquely extremely difficult in the world of journalism for the police to detect and uh, investigate and launch prosecutions against journalists. It's uniquely difficult. So actually, in order for that to happen, you'd have to have the police doing random checks, okay, and that's even more chilling. Well, it's much more chilling than the alternative, which is effective independent self-regulation. So you cannot rely on the criminal law, uh, and and indeed in many of these cases, data protection. <laughs> the point is, it's, it's the, you don't know that you're a victim. You don't know your data has been stolen because it's a it's a secret. So with burglary, at least you can report. The fence, because something's missing. Okay, you can't do that when someone has your your criminal record check blagged, or your or your friends and family numbers. So that's why it's just a, a blunt edge tool to expect law enforcement to be the solution, which is why decent regulation is so important. I say, yeah. You might, there's a mic apparently somewhere.
0: What What do you think is in it for Cameron in holding back on legal underpinning?
1: Well, I ventured onto Twitter, suggesting that uh, he was it was pure political self interest. Okay, and I got a a very sharp rebuke from the uh, editor of the Independent on Sunday, who's never replied to any of our requests for meetings with victims, and was hauled up before Leveson himself, uh, probably in a heavy handed way. I argued against it uh, uh, for breaching uh, for, for for breaching the being in contempt of the rules of the inquiry. Um, but anyway, he said, you know, we're not all Cameron-supporting people who are in this group. Okay? Fair, fair enough. But it doesn't mean that Cameron's motives are not to uh, either win on behalf of the press, who so is a hero, or at least show he's done his bit, okay, in order to get better coverage. And, that's, and that, what's so iniquitous about that is that's what Leveson criticised. He criticised the fact that there are these secret meetings which take place, as there have been, actually, since Leveson. They won't reveal, still, how many meetings ministers have had with editors. They say, oh, well, there'll be a quarterly report in due course, okay? But why not just say it at the time? Why not just walk in the front door, okay? And we were waiting for them when they came the other day, actually, with our little, we had little banners saying, uh, uh, editors, no one trusts you anymore. Brackets, except perhaps you, Alan. Uh, Close brackets. Um, But uh, uh, so I think that's why. And obviously, we would argue that that's wrong in principle. But also, I mean, it's not as if Telegraph is suddenly going to say, Cameron has backed statutory underpinning of a verification system for a system of self-regulation shock horror. We're now switching to Miliband. It's not going to happen, is it? Okay, so maybe he's worried about the Gove-Johnson sort of faction but it's still wrong he should be a statesman we say okay and he should do the right thing and he'll get credit for that and we've done opinion polls with you gov and uh, and they show that over 80 percent of the public including 80 percent of daily mail readers think that the system of self-regulation should be guaranteed by a body established in law that's,
0: that's what i was thinking
1: I was and, and, the exactly and and the sunday times did a poll because because the Sun said, "Oh, that's a, this is a, ironic." The Sun said, "That's that's that's hacked off. That's their point. You can't trust that," says the Sun. Okay, <laughs> and on our board is Will Moy. I don't know if you know Will Moy. A full fact, very good skeptic organisation uh, that does fact checking, uh, and it, so he wouldn't allow us any scope on the questions, nor would youGov. Anyway, the Sunday Times did a poll, and it found exactly the same, and they didn't publish it. So uh, they published a few of the questions, but they didn't publish the one about Cameron. Why do you think Cameron is doing this? Out of principle or for political gain? And three to one, political gain. And Sunday Times decided not to publish that question because they're defenders of free speech. On our website, there's a brilliant uh, new video clip by Alan Partridge on behalf of the so-called Free Speech Network. Okay, He says that he describes Hacked Off as a bunch of agitators. And that he and Quentin Letts were, were fuming about this in the pub. And he, um, Steve Cougar's obviously a supporter of the campaign and he's very funny, <laughs> as you know. And, uh, he was, he's particularly riled by Quentin Letts' ad hominem attacks on anyone that doesn't fit in with the Daily Mail system. And he's got this idea, uh, this is, oh, that's not. Publish this, but it's, it's going to be, happen. I think of him sort of doing a whole thing. Alan Partridge meets Quentin Letts, and they're walking in the Shropshire. I think Quentin Letts is from Shropshire, saying, so, "You know, oh, isn't this wonderful, Quentin? It's the, it's the smell of white Britain, you know." And uh, so nice to see a, a corner shop run by the Smiths. Anyway, um, so uh, so uh, yeah, the um, the. Uh, I think it's naked politi- political behavior. And, you know, it's just unfortunate because it's much easier if he'd have just said yes and I could have, you know, earned a living on doing something else. And I, I told-, told Hugh Grant that I'm dropping him as soon as the campaign's over. I think he knows that. All right. He's a very bad wingman. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, microphone. I think... It's not going to work
2: is it take the floor and ask the question <laughs> okay okay uh, it won't be long anyway um do you think the press might think it's unfair that they are being singled out for regulation when other groups of professional liars, like law, like um, politicians and PR people who also think anything that justifies a story can be done are not being regulated? It's almost as if there's a whole group of people who live in Terry Pratchett's disc world where the story dominates evidence and fact. Could we actually imagine a world in which professional lying was an imprisonable offence? Um,
1: I mean, I don't know. This isn't about lying uh, to a certain extent. So firstly, I think um, the rule about what's regulated is where you are in a powerful position, I guess. I mean, this is an interesting philosophical question. Okay, but it's certainly not about indiv- individual journalists lying. Okay, we, you know, Apart from you, we all lie, okay? Um, and um, it's, about the, it's about the misuse of power in a way that, can, without a public interest, can hurt vulnerable people, okay? So we have argued, hacked off for public interest offences. So if you bribe someone to discover serious wrongdoing, you should have a defence in law, okay? If you hack a phone to discover the truth about Jimmy Savile that should have been defendable and not a single one by the way of the hacking cases did they offer an attempted public interest defense not a single one okay for some reason they didn't think that they didn't try to claim that Sienna Miller was the way into to to an arms dealing uh, uh, outrage in the Lebanon uh so um uh So, I don't think it's, I think it's trite to say that it's about people lying. It's also the case that, that what we try and do is, with regulation, is to protect the vulnerable against the very powerful. It's not about saying to individuals, thou shalt not lie. Um, journalists sometimes do have to lie to protect their sources. Okay? Now, are politicians regulated? I mean, it's difficult to see that, you know, it's difficult to see how you do that. They, are, they can be voted out. Okay? Uh, I believe. Uh, um, uh, not always for lying. Uh, uh, for telling the truth. But, but I have voted, every election I vote against Paul Dacre, he's still there. Never been able to vote him out. So I think it's slightly different. I'm not saying politicians are great. Far from it. But it's, it's somewhat different. And indeed, Their pay and their expenses are at least more transparent than the tax arrangements of the proprietors of newspapers, all of whom are felt to be thought to be non-doms, but we just don't know. Um, And PR people—I mean, I just don't think they're as powerful as the press. They don't. Okay, so yes, I guess they can do some damage, uh, but they're not publishing to millions. Okay, with authority, they're spinners. And people, that's why people say, oh, the internet. I mean, if I see something on Twitter that says something about someone, okay, especially from an anonymous source, I do not believe it as much as if I read it in a newspaper, okay? Even I am prepared to give credence to something that's gone through the editorial process, even if it's in a tabloid newspaper, okay? Because you don't think they're making it up. So, whereas in Twitter, who knows? Okay, that's why it's different. Um, Next uh, question?
0: Um, I mean, I might be wrong in saying this, but to me, this seems to be a problem that's almost unique to the UK. Why do you think it is that this is sort of so exclusive to us and not so rife in the rest of the world? So, if Cameron and Co. get their way, what can be not done next in the Leveson
2: line?
1: Um, I don't know the answer to that question. The Media Standards Trust are a, are a group of, um, well, they can only be described as geeks uh, who have done international comparisons. And I, I'm just a, uh, <coughs> a medic-stroke-politician-stroke-free-speech-stroke-sciencey person. I've never really researched international comparisons, but they do exist. And I think there are some tabloids in other countries that are pretty bad. The United States has this First Amendment, but they actually have something foreign to the idea in uh to to english british newsrooms and that is something called have you heard of it pre-publication fact checking amazing it's just astonishing how they make how they make any money well they don't but i mean they 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 take this, they're mortified if they get a fact wrong okay i mean i think there are some newspapers that are appalled if they get a fact right in this country um your question is about what happens if well I've urged my colleagues not to get ahead of themselves, okay. Uh, and uh, so I said, let's focus on the short and the medium term, and it's not not worth. I said to Brian Cathcart, who's on sabbatical from his job as professor of journalism at Kingston, that he he probably this we're probably going to take a lot bit longer, and he's going to have to extend his sabbatical. Okay, and he groaned uh, into his uh, into his blog. Um, but uh, so I think. Uh, so, all right, but basically the situation is that there is a parliamentary majority, we think, in favour of um, statutory underpinning, in favour of implementing Leveson in full, including the bit that Leveson said was essential, which is to have underpinned by law this independent verification body so that it didn't all slip away as it has done uh, after seven reports over the last 60 years. Um, the question is, how do you convert a parliamentary majority for a, a bit of law into legislation when the Prime Minister, who's still in this country, controls the parliamentary timetable because Parliament and the Executive are combined and the Executive runs Parliament rather than um, the other way around, which is what it should Parliament is not in charge of its own timetable. The government runs the timetable in the Commons, despite the efforts of the Right Committee in the last Parliament, which I, I spent a lot of time on. So it's quite difficult to get legislation through. We'd have to get multiple defeats of the government on guillotine and programme motions, Okay, We'd have to overturn the business of the day by a vote of Parliament repeatedly. And I think what we're going to have to do is hope that the threat of Cameron losing vote after vote, including ministers, in in his government because of his coalition partners voting against him, that he'll have to say to the press, look, I did my best, you know, um, uh, don't be too nasty, uh, you know. And but I just think it's poor. I think it's poor politics. The way I put it, because we don't like to talk in defeatist terms, we don't want to paint him into a corner. So I always say that, you know, if, if the prime minister is a wise politician, he won't range himself against eighty percent of the public, uh, a significant part of his own party, a majority of parliamentarians, uh, the united and organised victims. That's our job. Uh, and the judge he appointed. Okay, and we're working on uh, Mumsnet. I mean, that's my next target. So to, we're going to have to march Hugh Grant into into Mumsnet Towers to do a web chat or whatever it is. And I'm coaching him on what biscuit to say is his favourite. So um, we're having a row. Uh, anyway, so uh, so we're trying to build this petition with civic society, and it's, it's going pretty well. We've got a few... You know, you get tweeted by you know, uh, the Bishop of Oxford and, and, and Gary Lineker. You're appealing to a wide range of, of characters. Um, anyway, I probably have to dash if I'm going to get this train. I'm sorry, um, but I've enjoyed it. And can I say thank you very much to Heather for inviting me and persisting in doing so. And uh, thank you all for, for coming and for the questions. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Um, Just a quick reminder that um, after we've taken some time to celebrate Isaac Newton's birthday with our families, um, on the 9th of January, um, we've got our next Skeptics in the Pub um, where we're going to be talking about why it makes sense to fund science, which I'm very much in favour of, so they've already got me with the title. So um, I hope to see you all in the new year. (laughs) Thank you very much for coming.